Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If you are not, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with academia, innovators, startups, NGOs, all looking for solutions to the greatest challenge of our time. My name is Samuele Tini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to this special episode. Today, it is a different setting. We are in the middle of the rainforest in, in Kakamega. We are the pleasure to have the co-founder of uh, one of the best in the world, B Corp, which is based in Kenya, which maybe for many people is not the place because, as we know, many of the B Corp are based in the States or Europe. And we see how also we will discuss with him the challenges and the wise he has decided to undergo, you know, the certification and which way are the challenges that he wants to resolve with this entrepreneurial journey. I'm very pleased to, with these wonderful settings with the baths and the water, to welcome Anton Espira, who is the co-founder of Ecotulibrium. Thank you, Anton, to be here and thank you for this wonderful setting. Thank you so much, Samuel. Uh, you're welcome and uh, it's a pleasure to have you here, especially in this rainforest setting and it's good that you can see the work we do in the actual context where we do the work. So thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here to be speaking to you. Thank you, Anton. It's really amazing being here. So, you know, I want to ask how you ended up here. You know, we are here surrounded by trees. We have seen the work on the feed that you are doing. How you ended up here? What is your journey that took you here where you are standing now? That's an interesting story. So this is home. I grew up in Kakamega. I was born in Nairobi, but I grew up here in Kakamega. So this is home. This is where my roots are. We founded eco Librium almost by accident. My co-founder, Mark Lang, and myself both had the same interest in mind, and that was how to conserve Kakamega Forest, where we're sitting here, how to conserve it in a sustainable way while creating value in the process. So Mark and I had never met before, and uh, we both spoke to um, a lady called Marina Codes, who has been working in Kakamega uh, for tens of years, and she's, um, she's an expert in the area. And we both spoke to her about our idea, and she co-introduced us to each other. So Mark and I, you know, set up a meeting, decided to meet, we spoke, and we realized that we both had the same big question in our mind. We both love the forest, because Mark has worked here as well, and we both realized that conservation efforts to date are not working. And the big question for us was, why are they not working? We thought perhaps the approach to conservation was not being properly mm. done. The value that was being created was not sustainable. So we started Eco2. We didn't know what journey mm. lay ahead for us, but uh, you know it was an interesting beginning. And yeah, so we find ourselves here more than 10 years later with a fairly successful company that's doing pretty well. We've won the B Corp Awards, and uh, I think we're trying to do a good job in our community. That is actually what really struck me when we first discuss, and also within the work of these days that in the field. It's really your approach to conservation is through a company. Yes. And I would like to dig it because... A bit deeper on that because usually we associate conservation with NGOs or international agency, the UN, the government. So how is a company 
And why? What is the, the particular approach that Ecotolibre is bringing to conservation? The issue at the root of failure of conservation is that conservation is an economic choice. The people who are exploiting a natural resource, like the forest here, uh, are doing so not because they have a malice or a negative intent. It's because they're, they're making an economic choice. For example, mm. they exploit the forest for firewood. Yes. because they don't have an alternative cooking way or because firewood is the cheapest way. They exploit the forest to cut trees because they sell the timber. So it's ultimately an economic choice. So if you want to address conservation, um, you could do a top-down approach where you protect the resource by building a fence. That works, but that is not sustainable. The other alternative is to create alternative value for people so that they don't have to exploit the forest. And one of the best ways to do that is to create jobs, yes. to give people work where they have spending money, they have less time to uh, carry out non-conservation positive activities and so on and so forth. So that seems uh, quite you know, common sense. But then why go for a business rather than an NGO? Yes. So one of the things about NGOs um, is that in an NGO world, people are used to having a grant. They're used to yes. having a handout. Yes. If you do A, B, C, D, you can get something free. Yes. Right? So if you... That distorts the whole system. In a business setting, um, people are making active economic choices about what they're going to do. And the reward they receive is not a positive reinforcement from an external body saying, oh, you did a good thing, you didn't cut the forest. Thank you, here is money. No. The reward they receive is an economic reward. In a business transaction, you do a proper business, you make some money, that is money that you can spend as part of the business. So we wanted that approach where everybody gets what they deserve, yes, not what we think they deserve. That's one thing. The other thing is that we wanted to avoid a top-down approach yes, where we come from the West and tell people monkeys need to be saved, yeah. so please stop cutting the forest. That seems intuitive to you and me, but if my children are starving, if I don't have enough food on the table, monkeys and trees are not my priority. Yes, my priority is to make income to put food mm. on the table. So we offer people a business alternative. One of our most successful projects is a store project yes. that's built around a business system where local community partners sell and install stoves. They make money from that process. The stoves help to save firewood, but that yeah. is a secondary benefit. All the beneficiaries in the project are benefiting economically from the activities they're involved in. They're creating value for themselves, they're creating an income, they have a regular income, and they can easily see what benefits they're getting. And the conservation benefit happens to be secondary. And I think that's one of the important approaches. The other important yeah. approach um, we thought a business has a big advantage of is that it creates a much bigger incentive for people to be honest. Yes. Right? Because they're involved in business transactions. They don't have to lie to us and say things like, oh, I love the forest. That's why I'm using your stove. Right? People who are using our stoves, they don't, they might love the forest, but them using the stove has nothing to do with them loving the forest or not. It has most to do with them making an active choice that the stove improves my life improves my economics, whatever. Yeah. That's why I made the choice for the stop. Such a choice is more sustainable. Whether we are there or not, telling people mm. about conservation, 
people are making a positive choice regardless of whether there's a top-down approach. approach yeah. Yeah, because that is what the discussion, you know, it's not just the usual project that top-down is just awareness, but if you anchor that with economic benefits, as you said, you may stick rather than exactly. just, you know, coming there, oh, we love the forest, put the abana, and then yes. that's, it, that's it. I want to dig it a bit more, you know, uh, you have mentioned the stove, how your uh, model works. I mean, w- which are the main activity that Ecotulibrium is doing? Okay, so um, the main activity, so the, the stove project is supported by carbon credit revenue. Mm-hmm. We basically work with local communities who manufacture and sell the stoves. What Ecotulibrium does is that we calculate the emission reductions yes. associated with the stoves. And we sell those as carbon credits. Yes. And that revenue supports the stove project. Mm. In essence, what carbon credits let us do is subsidize the stove enough for people to adopt. So our stove project is heavily reliant on carbon credits. We have other projects that are not carbon mm. credit related, but specifically to the stove, it's a carbon yes. it's a carbon project. That's maybe before going to the others, I want to ask you about this because there has been some debates in the, especially even recently, you know, Greenpeace calling for the end of uh, all carbon market and carbon credit. Which is your perspective on that and how you can respond, you know, to such calls based on your long experience on the ground and the impacts you are making? That's a complicated issue. The carbon credit is pretty big. Carbon credit market is pretty big and it's got a whole variety of players, right? Often carbon credits are used to greenwash activity that's inherently negative for the environment. Or it allows polluters to continue doing what they're doing and simply make payments to compensate for what they're doing. So that is a challenge. Um, So I can understand some people's perspective. From our point of view, our carbon credits, especially as a B Corp, have created immense value in the community. They generate hundreds of jobs and they create a system that is beneficial to everybody. We try to minimize the subsidy that we offer communities through the carbon credits in a way that we actually increase every year. We actually decrease the subsidy percentage of the stove value every year, try to create a more sustainable stove market down the road. So back to your question. We face a situation where we have to ask, okay, it is not a perfect system, but can you offer us a better alternative at the moment? If there's a better alternative to work with in scenarios such as ourselves, we will be happy to take that alternative. But right now I ask myself, how can we install the tens of thousands of stoves that we have installed in local communities without carbon credit subsidy? That's actually a very good question. So it's, as usual, it's not black and white, but but it's it's gray. And for now, the alternatives are not there yet. Yes. And really, the impact that you are doing at the community was quite impressive because it's really 120,000, if I recall correctly, uh, stoves installed. And really, the reduction and the impact is quite heavy because when we discussed with the lady, I recall that she was saying, you know, from... Three loads of firewood per week, just one. That seems maybe for somebody maybe sitting in somewhere in the US or in Europe, I mean, what does it mean? But for uh, somebody living at the bottom of the pyramid, the four, it's a huge difference in their income. It, it is huge. It is huge. And I, I would ask people to look at carbon credits in the context of the hundreds of other 
subsidies that Western economies survive on. Yes. Fossil fuels are heavily subsidized in many economies. Agriculture is subsidized. Many of the subsidies, I mean, for example, we know in the EU, agriculture is very heavily subsidized. Many of those subsidies are not transparent. The carbon market, much as it is a gray area, when the highest standards of verification and validation are applied, it's a fairly transparent system. Yes. So let's consider it as one of the many subsidies we have within the larger global economy that help us to have specific economic goals achieved. This one happens to have a positive impact. So that's one Mm. thing I would ask people to do. The other thing is I would ask people to do not to focus on the emission reductions, but focus on the lady you just mentioned, who Mm. now can go to the forest not three times a week, but once. Focus on the fact that she can now pay school fees for her kids. She has a little more time to work in her garden. So, Mm. yes, everything should be taken in context. Carbon credit is one of them. So I would ask, you know, any listeners to really think about it from that point of view. And if we want to start eliminating all the gray areas that surround us in our quest to create a greener world, mm. I think carbon credits is one of the lesser evil that we have. This uh, decodement, sometimes the infights within the, let us say, the broader conservationist environmentalist field just makes also happy, let us say, the other side. Exactly. Because That's it, a good point. it's really, as you say, you know, okay, let them, them fight. And then as we continue pollute, you know, the stoves is really remarkable. We'll talk even more, you know, because it's really touched me a lot. But you're not only there, you know, what, which other area Ecotulibrium is exploring? So uh, we, we consider ourselves a natural resource conservation company yes. with a focus on conservation of the forest. Yes. So one of the main drivers of forest destruction in Kenya is charcoal burning. Yes. And it's a huge unresolved issue. So one of the other projects we have is a biomass briquette project where we mm. manufacture charcoal briquette from sugarcane waste. This is a non-carbon credit project. It's mm. a simple business project where we manufacture and we sell the briquettes. It's a project that's focused on the circular economy. We mm. have a lot of sugarcane factories in Western Kenya. They produce a lot of waste that's called bagash. Yes. This bagash has the potential to be a very good alternative to charcoal. So we produce these briquettes that we sell as an alternative to charcoal, and uh, they're very well liked by the community and very well embraced. In fact, we can't keep up with market demands. So that's one of the other things we do. We also work with farmers quite a lot. Uh, We are trying to work to develop a large-scale agroforestry project Mm. that we hope will involve thousands of farmers. Um, We need to decide if this project is going to be carbon credit based. Most likely we might have a subsidy from carbon credits, but the main focus of the project will be creating a value for the farmers Yes, from the crops they grow with the trees, as well as selling the trees that they grow. So that's one of the other projects. The other enterprise we have is a small solar company Yes, that's called Solibrium. It's a spin-off of Ecotulibrium. And this is a last mile distributor of mm. solar home systems that basically helps to distribute solar systems in the deep rural areas where we work. So those are some of the projects that we're doing. That is very interesting, especially for the listener, you know, because Kenya, as as you know, let us say almost 90% of energy for consumption in the household is biomass. And I really liked the when we visited the, the place for the briquettes because for how much we discuss circular economy, we have seen that how a resource that was just lying idle there even was a problem with, for the companies. Now it's becoming 
a major driver of reduction of the destruction of the forest because charcoal, it is, if not the main, we can say the main driver. It is, I would probably agree. Yeah. Yes, and, um, and you know, and also cost-wise, it's, it's quite interesting. So, and the other one, the agroforestry is really interesting. I really liked also the approach that you were saying about corridors. Uh, this agroforestry being a corridor for connectivity yes. within the, the forest. And then let me ask you, you know, because you have discussed a lot, a lot of things. You have conservation, the approach, the company, but then you added another layer, you know, which also gives you also more even, let us say, a different approach. That is the B Corp. Being a B Corp, which were the motivators that you have done and which also, you know, the changes that you have to do to adapt to the certification? That's an interesting question. Um, We ventured into, um, we sort of stumbled upon the B Corp movement by accident. We had no intention of being a B Corp um, because, you know, we understood ourselves as being a social enterprise. But uh, Scott, who is one of our co-founders, one of our primary partners, found the Beacop movement, you know, he brought it to our attention and we looked at it and we thought, hey, this does apply to us in some ways. Yes. So why don't we go through the certification and see what it looks like? So we went through the certification and we realized we actually score pretty well. Not even pretty well, you are one of the best in the world. So that was was never intentional. But then uh, we realized that there's so much more deep value to the Beacop movement. Yes. One of the simple, you know, values that comes out across immediately is that the Beacop movement gives us validation on what we're doing, recognized globally yes. on something that other companies can understand. You know, there's many famous Beacops. Patagonia, for example, yes. cloth maker, is a famous Beacop. To be able to sit down and tell you that being judged in the same template as Patagonia, we are scoring quite well. That is a matter of pride. But also Patagonia can look at us and say, hey, these guys are doing something that we are also trying to do. So suddenly we have a great equalizer across the business world that allows comparison between companies and allows validation and allows appreciation of the positive social and environmental impacts the companies are doing. Yes. So huge advantage in people. That, of course, is a big advantage to investors because mm. investors can understand suddenly what you're doing and they can understand that you have been evaluated and you have been measured by on a global scale and you're still recognized as doing something quite good. So the Big Up movement is an excellent way for us to draw attention to our positive work on a larger global picture. So that's a really big advantage. Like a badge of honor, you know, and especially what you said, being based here in rural Kenya, in Kakamega Forest, now you enter a network with the like of Patagonia, the Ben and & Jerry, and exactly. others. Exactly. Yeah. So you are recognized one of them. What is your perspectives of the B Corp movement? You know, now that you are being part and you are, let us say, one of the best. I mean, 169, if I recall correctly. So it's really a huge scope. Which are the, your perspectives of the B Corp movement? Is it a solution? Have we found a solution to the wicked problems of capitalism? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I'll take you back one step. So yes. one of the main advantages to being a B Corp is the recognition. But the other huge advantage that we have found as a B Corp is that we can self-assess our own work. Yes. And we can use that self-assessment for constant improvement. Yes. And I think that's one of the huge advantages Mm. of being a B Corp is that it not only lets others know what you're doing, it lets you as a business see that these alternatives 
to running a business that create widespread value. Yes. So we use the Beacon movement to really assess what we're doing. And I think a lot of businesses should turn to the Beacon movement, even if they don't want a full certification or they don't care how high the score. Yes. The evaluation process itself is a very good business mm. activity. So that is one of the whatevers. Have we found a solution to the big capitalist problem? Um, I think the solution has always been there. Everybody knows what it is. Mm. Most business people are very savvy, very intelligent. They know ways that they can improve their business. Yes. Perhaps one of the good things about the big movement is that it formalizes this system. It allows business owners and business, you know, and shareholders and employees mm. to see that there is a way that they can continue their business activities while also having a positive impact. So we don't have, just like carbon credits, mm. capitalism is not a black and white evil versus not evil system. Yeah. Anything we do, we can create value in it. Our mm. interactions with human beings, we can create value in our interactions. How we speak to anybody on the street, we can choose to make it positive or negative. We can choose to run our businesses in ways that create positive value for shareholders or positive value for every single stakeholder, including our employees. So these are active choices. So we haven't just found a solution to capitalism, but you know we have found Bicop offers a way to run businesses in a way that's positive for all stakeholders. That is actually the essence of the movement, also showing saying of resilience, even in this context of crisis. Let me take, you are a special B Corp because you are not based in the usual locations. Yes. And not in California and all this, uh, you know, where Patagonia and the other states. In Africa, from your perspective, you know, which are the were peculiar challenges? And it's really a path that also you would recommend for other businesses in the emerging economies. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the challenges for businesses in Africa is a very basic economic challenge, how to survive as a business. Yes. To survive as a business, you need to have enough cash flow. Yes. Cash flow is dependent on the size of your market. Yes. If I have a million customers, I can make more money than if I have 100 customers. Yes. From the same basic business activity. In Africa, the need for sustainable businesses that also create positive social and environmental mm. inputs is huge. Yes. Right? Because, you know, we are emerging economies. We can grow big multinational companies. But what if we start growing these companies from the grassroots as companies that create positive impact to all stakeholders? So this is a perfect time for African companies to consider the BCOP movement. Just as they're starting to grow, they can engender the DNA mm. of BCOP into their growth strategies. And if this helps them to secure external investors, if this helps them to grow their markets, this is actually ideal. It's very challenging for us to preach to other companies to tell them, you know, oh, you should be a Corp when companies are struggling on the bottom line. They're struggling to make money. Yes. They're struggling to employ people. Yes. So Africa is ready for the Corp movement, but we need also to have sustainable economies strong enough to support companies that can grow up as Corps. But yeah, but I think Corps are perfect for the African business environment. Yeah. No, thank you so much. I think that is a strong, positive message that you are giving i liked the way you know if you build up now in the growth phase the idea and the principle of the big Corp movement i think you really make a change and also the way and you would avoid maybe some of the mistakes that were done 
in the past in other areas of the world during the economic transformation which will be needed. It's really interesting and I think we will talk with you hours and hours, especially in this wonderful setting surrounded by the, the nature and the animals and the birds, the monkeys jumping. You know, from all your journey, you know, 10 years journey, more than 10 years, what's 11 years, correct? Yes. With ecotulibrium and now the solibrium, you know, the energy needs. Which is a message that you want to leave? You know, can you, and which is the evaluation of this journey? And how do you see also the future uh, for your company? I'll start with the future. Um, yes. The, the future is always challenging, right? To survive as a business, you need to innovate. You need to continue to be relevant mm. to your customers. We are in a very quickly changing community and society. Yes. As African societies grow and become more affluent, Yes. People are changing very mm. quickly. And of course, they're moving towards uh, Western style of mm. consumerism and all, all that kind mm. of stuff. So a lot of the work we're doing right now, so for example, with the stoves, we know that this has a finite lifetime. Yes. So the company needs to innovate. Big challenge for us is to stay relevant to our customers and to mm. our communities while to continue to do positive for the environment and for our stakeholders. Mm. So... Our future holds challenges, but it holds a lot of innovation. And if we take advantage of all our lessons in the past, we have the potential to actually grow significantly, both locally within our community here and in Kenya as a whole. So we're looking forward towards that. We're looking forward towards new projects, new business enterprise. That's about the future. What is the message I want to give? It's always hard to have a specific message, right? Yes, of course. Uh, We are not saviors that we came into the business world thinking that if you do a b c d you have you get a beautiful result we have no silver bullets yeah exactly we have adopted every day we have changed every day the main message i would say is that anything we do we can do in a positive way yes right i say that earlier and business right now has the potential for amazing transformation globally you realize that over the last you know 50 years the main driver of global interaction now is business it's no longer diplomacy the people who talk to us who travel around the world they're business leaders right so businesses are becoming incredibly powerful both globally and locally and businesses can take an opportunity right now to have a positive impact on everything they do my message to my fellow entrepreneurs and everybody else to all the stakeholders is Let's just do things a little bit better. We don't have to transform everything completely. Yes. But we can seek a positive impact in everything we do, whether it's from the salaries we pay our employees or from our environmental impact, from how we reduce pollution within the business, all those kind of things. Just try to drive the direction of businesses in a more positive way. I think also nature is responding to your call. (laughs) You have seen some big birds moving and, you know, the Ibis... Is is discussing yeah, and is with us. It's agreeing with me. The yes. <laughs> so the forest is saying yes. I really like what you say, and we really wish that, as you said, the stay relevant, stay positive, and really drive innovation. The work you are doing here in this corner of Western Kenya really needs to be spread because the the issue of conservation and preservation of the natural resources is not just a problem of the Kakamega Forest, which is a, an important biodiversity spot and a wonderful forest, but it's really 
let us say a Kenya and a global yes, problem. Indeed. So we need more people like you really <laughs> driving uh, the future. And I really like uh, what you said about your, the entrepreneur because it's really, if everybody you know is moving in that direction, we will make a huge change, especially. Yeah. Thank you. And I want really to thank you for your time. And I'm sure we'll have other conversations in the future because it's really interesting, the work you're doing. And I really wish you, your team, which is wonderful on the field and Equilibrium, a great success. And even I'm looking forward to more innovation from you to really solve the issues of communities and the problem that they are hindering them together with the conservation. So thank you so much, Anton. I'm really grateful. Thank you as well. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us.